lots and lots of spoilers. All right, you marmosets, listen up and listen good. You are here for one reason and one reason only, to listen to this podcast about movies from the year of our Lord, 1981. We don't want to hear any whining about other years. As far as you mothballs are concerned, there is no other year in existence. Do you get me? You maddocks are not worthy to be part of our beloved podcast. Now pay attention, mopheads, because we are going to recite the podcaster's creed. This is my podcast. There are many like it, but this one is mine. My podcast is my best friend. Um, it is my life. Um, I must master it as I must master um, my life. Um, Without me, my podcast um, is used. Um, what? 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 I. What do you want, Mophead? All right. For the first thing, it's Maggot, not Mophead what? or Maleficent or whatever the heck else you were saying. And for- Ew, that's <laughs> gross. That's what it is. And for another thing, I think you got the wrong tone for this movie. Stripes is a comedy. Right. 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 Not Sorry, uh, got, drama. Got carried away a bit there. <clears throat> yeah. So. There's no Kubrick um, here. No Kubrick. No Kubrick. Kubrick free. <laughs> yes. Kubrick free zone. Want yeah. to try that again? <laughs> yeah, sure. So. Zany comedy. Ivan Reitman. Bill Murray. The Army. Mud Wrestling. What do all these things have in common? They're in this movie, Stripes. Sure, why not? I'm your host and chill drill sergeant, Max Levine. And standing at ease over there is your other host, chief very petty and vindictive officer, Mike Luce. Not that petty. Well... Or totally. Yeah, I probably am. (laughs) (laughs) And we are talking about Stripes in our series. That sure was 1981. It sure was. But before we get to that, we have our poll question. Poll question! What is your favorite poll? Uh, Me, I'm going with Barbershop. Move along. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) This week's was, what movie do you think is great just the way it is? No plot threads to pull at, no weak performances, no explanations for things that don't make sense. This is a movie you wouldn't touch at all. Doesn't mean you think it's a perfect film, whatever that is. Just for you, this is it. Uh, Dan Schaefer gave us three. Local Hero, sure. Casablanca, I knew that was, a, that was coming. Yeah. That, that shows up a bunch. And Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. I mean, any change would either make it worse or make it better, which would be worse. Okay, sure. Your logic is infallible, sir, because you have none. <laughs> His, his logic is not like our Earth logic. <laughs> it's a wreath uh. of pretty flowers that smell bad. <laughs> <laughs> Valerie, oh God, I'm related to Mike Coons, writes, Easy peasy, strictly ballroom. Mm. I've always thought that is a, as, a, as perfect a movie as you can get. Also, Young Frankenstein. No, okay. And her assistant, Stevens, Stephen, says Jurassic Park. It's not his favorite, but he can't think of a thing he'd change about it. I'd have more lawyer eating. <laughs> there can never be enough of that. Uh, yeah. The Strictly Ballroom was my mother's favorite film, and I say that because oh. she actually saw it in the theater 19 times. <laughs> 19? Jeez Louise. Yeah, uh, and a friend of ours, Libby, saw it even more than that because she actually would sneak off on her yep. own so as not to upset my mother and <laughs> see it by herself. <laughs> 19 times. I don't think I've seen, the wow. only thing I've seen it in the theater more that many times or more is Rocky Horror, and that's partially because I got yeah. in for free. 
Well, as we talked about before, yeah, for me it was Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. Uh, Richard Tatum also chimes in with Casablanca. Yep. Nick Hoffman agrees with Val about Young Frankenstein. Hmm. Dave, Dave tells us some like it hot. Interesting. That's a good choice. I wouldn't. I hadn't thought of that. Really? So he buys those yeah. two people as women. Hmm. <laughs> sure, Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon as uh, next to Marilyn Monroe. I mean, at least they could have picked <laughs> Ethel Merman or something. Well, come on. Next to Marilyn Monroe, nobody looks like a woman. Oh no. Uh, Professor Doctor Rebecca Pelkey mm. says, "Get out." Which I thought was kind of mean. I mean, I, I, I don't think we I were really being that. I think intrusive. it's a film. What? I think it's a oh, film. Oh, right, right. The yeah. Jordan Peele movie. Ah. Yeah. Oh. Jamie Kleinert says, Snatch. Hmm. Okay, actually, I've never seen that. That's a uh, uh, lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. What's his name? Guy Ritchie? I uh, Guy a- Ritchie, I, th- I think so. Yeah. Aaron McStravick, The Princess Bride. I absolutely love that movie. Perfect for kids and jokes written for adults. That is a big fan favorite. Oh, yeah. Matthew Reisman says, I wouldn't change a thingle, single thing single sing, if you will, <laughs> about Raiders of the Lost Ark, Alien, or The Matrix. See our previous episode Whoa. on Raiders of the Lost Ark. For a non-classic, more recent answer, Knives Out is a movie that could not be improved upon. we got some other people agreeing with that coming up. Yep. Uh, Helen Hegarty, or Hegarty? Hegarty. Hegarty. The Little Mermaid. Yeah, Helen is Ariel in a way. She's a very, uh, very nice person. She's part of another podcast group I'm with, um, and she adores especially that yeah, Disney wait, film. Wait, wait, wait. You, you do another podcast? Uh, listen, too. Listen, not, that, not, wh- not a part. No, no, no. Oh, Just this oh. one. I, oh, Max, <laughs> how can I possibly be in a, yeah. in a podcast oh. called Q Footsteps that does uh, old-time radio yeah, shows? Wait, what, wait, I, what, what was that possibly, last part? Uh, I, how could I? No, Max. Of course not. <laughs> Just go on with the poll. Yeah. That was close. All right. Uh, Ethan Curran says, I'm tempted to say The Thin Man, The Philadelphia Story, and Lawrence of Arabia, but it may be that something makes an imprint at such a stage that their inviolability says more about me than them. Hmm. And a second or third for Raiders. Huh. Yeah. Well, that's a very interesting point. Yeah, yeah no, that, that is a point. If you, I guess if you do see a, a movie at a certain point in your life, it becomes like set in amber and you can't imagine changing it. Well, and that's part of the reason I asked the question the way I did. I didn't want it to be like, what do you think is the perfect film? Because that's... Hmm. that's Just your, one you wouldn't want changed. Yeah, well, that, you're going to get into fights for that one, right? Because yeah. there are people who actually like the prequels of Star Wars. Anyway, please move on. Yeah. Uh, a- Angelo Patsalis says, All About Eve... And here's a, here's a deeper Spencer Mountain. Oh, I don't know that one. That is, if I remember right, I saw this a long time ago. It's basically a sort of the was the inspiration for the Waltons. Oh, okay. So it's about a family's trial and tribulations living on. I think it's the Spencer family living on the mountain. Probably Spencer Mountain. <laughs> it's. I remember it being very melodramatic, but very effective. Huh. But again, this was about a hundred years ago. Yeah. Uh, Keith Wright says. Okay, here, here we go. Talking about some unexpecteds. There's a movie by a filmmaker named Kazi Lemons called Eve's Bayou. It's a great film. The performances are great, and it's an interesting story. It stars Samuel L. Jackson, Lynn Whitfield, Lisa Nicole Carson, Journey Smollett, Megan Good, and the underrated Debbie Morgan. She also directed The Caveman's Valentine, oh boy, with Samuel L. Jackson, and Harriet with Cynthia... Cynthia 
I've heard of Eve's Bayou. I've never seen it. Mm, don't know anything. Yeah, and Keith Wright also happens to be part of uh, um, Q Footsteps, that other podcast that uh, I'm a part of. That I, though, I did just listen to. Just listen you, to. You said, wait a minute. You, that's the second. Oh, and All so right. it's Richard Tatum and uh, Valerie Coons. But I just listened <laughs> to it. I do not in any way perform in it, except for every uh, show. <clears throat> what? Oh, Bumpy, uh, what was that? Oh, he just wanted some oats. That's all. Uh, uh, Reagan McStravick gives us a pretty lengthy one here. Random thoughts. This one's tough. I thought pretty hard about which films I would consider my favorites, and I'm not sure I can even come up with a solid list of ten that I wouldn't want to modify immediately after building the list. But I'm not sure I would consider most of those films perfect. Apocalypse Now and The Professional are solidly in my top ten. Yeah, uh, I would question the ending of Apocalypse Now, I mean, or the last, <laughs> however long it is with Marlon Brando, the part that feels like it's three hours long. Oh, uh, a bug I ate with little wings! <laughs> uh, but I'm not sure they're perfect, you know, like you said. Blade Runner, maybe, though of course the perfect Blade Runner could only be one of the, what, 20 re-edits? There's only one re-edit that counts, <laughs> and that's the 1992 think, version. I think Fifth Element and Field of Dreams are pretty close to perfect films. Wow. Speed is kind of flawless, really, he, even though not likely to find its way onto a favorites list of any length for me. Huh. For its, for its unwavering commitment to the formula. Okay, there that's fair. <laughs> I guess my point is that a perfect film isn't necessarily the same as a good film, or at least of the best film. That's how Mike uh, phrased the question. Yeah. It's not necessarily a per perfect film, but it's one that you know, doesn't need to be changed. Steve Kellner has another vote for Knives Out. We've watched it three times and never found a single plot hole. Not one. And he's married to a mystery writer. And all the characters are just pure fun to watch. Also, Blazing Saddles. I can't even imagine what one would change. Okay, maybe put back the single line Mel cut. There was a line that was cut, Max? Yeah, yeah, there was. He thought it was a little too risque. Really? In the se in the sequence where Lily von Stupp is trying to seduce the Sheriff Bart. Sure. Has the lights out and has that famous line, tell me, Shotzi, is it true that they say you people are gifted? Oh, it's true, it's true. He left out was uh, Bart replying, I hate to disillusion you, ma'am, but you're sucking on my arm. <laughs> No. Wow. I, mean, I, I can kind of see why he cut that for the the ratings, but yeah. I mean, maybe for the seventies. Now <laughs> you could say that on Friends. <laughs> um, yep. So, did you get the yep. one on the website from uh, Vince? I believe he mentioned Agir, the Wrath of God, with Klaus Kinsey, uh, directed by Werner Herzog. I saw it. At, who knows how many times at the Harvard Square Theater? Already a point in its favor, yep. and I refused to get a DVD player until it was released on DVD. Wow. Seeing the not-worn-to-death copy on DVD just made me love it even more as the cinematography was so amazing. Watched it on a loop for an entire day while I was working once. Good Lord, you, you watched a, a Werner Herzog movie for an entire day on loop. And you didn't end up wearing nothing but black and smoking constantly? Well, he lives in Canada. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> I actually have no idea what that has to do with it, but whatever. Wow. Yeah. Okay. He does love him some Werner Herzog, so there you go. Well, well thank you, Vince, and thank you, all of you, for your great answers. Yeah. These were terrific, and some very surprising. Yeah. What's yours, Max? I don't know. There's every movie 
I look at, I can I can sometimes think of something I would want to change. But honestly, for me, I think the first Lord of the Rings movie, yeah. Fellowship of the Rings, I thought that was just, nope, they, they just friggin' nailed it. Nailed it. Even though they were prejudiced against the Bombadil? Hmm? <laughs> that was, a, again, that was a narrative choice I completely understood because it does grind the story to a halt. It's really interesting for backstory, but, you know, hi, we're going to sit around and have dinner, and then we're going to have breakfast, and hi. And it's raining. And it's <laughs> raining. I totally, I understand that narrative. Yeah, to me, that one, especially of the three, that's just one I wouldn't, I would change nothing. What about you? What's, what's your untouchable movie? Well, the obvious choice was Casablanca. I was going to be sure. very surprised if it didn't pop up, and it popped up, I think, twice. Um the thing that I love most about Casablanca, besides the casting, I love everybody in it. Everybody is at their most, whoever they are. That is the most Sydney Green Street, the most Peter Laurie, the most Claude Rains, um, yep. the most, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, the star, Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, that guy. Yep. That yep. They don't get any more them than that. I love the fact that there's drama and comedy in a perfect mix. Uh, the comedy is still funny. I still laugh at that film. It's not timed, you know, the fact even though it takes place in the 40s. It's, yeah, somehow the humor is not dated. Um, it works. I would literally, and I know that this has been remade at least twice. I refuse to watch. Oh, no, no I'm sorry. This has not been remade. That was barbed wire. My other choice has been remade. Ah. The other choice, and I haven't watched this in a few years, and I decided to watch this, it this year. And this film has been remade twice, and I refuse to watch those. Marlo Thomas and Wayne Rogers. I'm looking right at you. Is oh, it's God, a wonderful mean, life? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's been made, remade more than that. Yeah. There've been a there've been a lot of variations of it. Yeah, it's a Star Is Born all over again. Yeah. I love that film. I used to watch it every Christmas Eve when my mom was at church and I was waiting up for her. Um, and of course, that was the period where everybody was showing it at least twelve times. Yep. Sometimes hand colored by children in Crayola crayons. <laughs> um, but and it's long. It is surprisingly long. Yeah, it's a two-hour it film, and the first oh, I don't know, two-thirds of the film is just learning who the main character is. It's all about mm. character development, and I wouldn't change a damn thing. Uh, we, yeah. This is where we get Bert and Ernie from because they're two characters from this film. <laughs> Ward Bond. I think if you remember from anything, you remember him from this. Um, Donna Reed, Jimmy Stewart. Lionel Barrymore is about Ooh, as Lionel, Lionel Barrymore. Friggin' Barrymore, <laughs> national treasure, that man. Happy New Year to you in jail. In jail. <laughs> so yeah, those are the those are those two films. There's other films I've seen. There's actually a film you showed me that I never want to see again, but I wouldn't change a frame of it, which is a film called Beasts of the Southern Wild. An uh, amazing oh, film, but dear gods, incredible. I never want to see it again. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's a hard one to watch. Yeah. Um, but that was last week. I'm sure yes. you could tell our, our our listeners. How can they respond? Oh, not yet. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> but what's, uh, what's this week's question? This week's question is, what movie do you think would be improved if it was told from the point of view of one of the side or supporting characters instead of the main character? i got to go back to Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. <laughs> I would love to see Droppo's story. <laughs> or how about Birdemic from the bird's point of view? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I would like to see Birdemic from the point of view of that guy who sells Rod the solar panels. Oh no, I wanted to be the cougar guy with the wig in the woods. Oh, oh, oh yes, that's a mountain lion. I gotta go now. 
<laughs> I'm sure he has a very interesting perspective on oh, yeah, all of yeah. Birdemic. But, but let's get to Stripes. Trivia. The show. Budget, $10 million. That much, huh? Oh, I mean, Pocket really? Change. Yeah, yeah. It, most, I'm assuming mostly went to, for uh, borrowing hardware for the Army and paying Bill Murray. Hmm. Uh, worldwide gross, $85 million. Oh. Yeah, this this one did pretty darn well. Do you think that's why we got Private Benjamin? Uh, I'm, I'm coming to that, actually. Ah. Private Benjamin was uh, the year before. Oh. Yeah. Goldie Hawn. There was, a, there was kind of a mini-cycle of Hollywood movies in the early 1980s centered around military cadet training. You had, in 81, you had Taps, Stripes, you had Private Benjamin, Up the Academy, and... Uh, 1980, The Lords of Discipline in 1983. 1982, you had An Officer and a Gentleman. Oh. In the mid-80s, you got Biloxi Blues, Heartbreak Ridge, and Full Metal Jacket. Yikes. Yeah. yeah that last, was in, last one there, uh, Full Metal Jacket, is a great musical comedy. I... Oh, oh, yeah. yeah that, that is just wacky fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is also directed by Ivan Reitman, probably best known for Ghostbusters, where, again, he teams up uh, Bill Murray and Harold Ramis. Meatballs and Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> Alien Meatballs Escape from Alcatraz. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, of course, most people know him as the producer of Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That amazing team up of, uh, I believe, Sylvester Stallone and Rue McClanahan. Um, <laughs> what could those two possibly have or, to talk to no, each it other Rue about? McClanahan. It was one of the Golden Girls. It was the, the older, oldest one. But anyway... <laughs> uh, according to Reitman, Bill Murray insisted mm. that Harold Ramis be cast as his friend for two reasons. One, they were longtime friends in real life. That would end quite a while around Groundhog Day. Uh, and two, so Ramis could help Murray rewrite his dialogue or help him improvise. Uh -huh. uh, the ca there was a lot of improv in this movie. Uh, the cast improvised almost all the dialogue where they're sitting around and telling their backstories. Mm. Including Bill Murray talking about Lee Harvey and the cow and the whole Sergeant Holka as the big toe speech. <laughs> yeah, which apparently they had to keep refilming because uh, Warren Oates, the guy playing Sergeant Holka, kept cracking up <laughs> at all these stories. <laughs> if any of you uh, homos touch me, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. <laughs> Lighten up, Francis. <laughs> the scene where Bill Murray is loading the annoying rich woman's suitcases into the trunk and hits himself in the crotch was not in the script. He actually did that by accident. Ah. He did hit him, and that, that is a very real line, oh my balls. <laughs> <laughs> what an amazing improv. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Reitman decided, hey, that's, hey, you hurt yourself, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, I begin to wonder about how Reitman treats people, because uh, also, according to Reitman himself, the scene where the recruits are getting their haircuts, he didn't tell the actors that real army barbers would be shaving their heads until the scene was shot. He lined all the actors up and shot the screen as scripted to get their genuine reactions at, to their heads being shaved. John Candy got really depressed after that scene was shot. That's why you see him walking out with his hair in his hands and looking sad. He's not acting. He's horrified. Huh. Now, Bill Murray and Harold Ramis were bigger names at that point. 
Uh, they had to have their hair cut short, but they didn't have to shave their heads. Their haircuts, by the way, are not regulation. Really? Wow. I'm yeah. so surprised. Yeah, shocking. Here's what. Here's the thing that was a surprise to me. The U.S. Army was really helpful and cooperative with this filming. Of course they were. Which is kind of surprising because it shows them the Army as being made up of a bunch of idiots. I bet I know why. My theory, and actually my first note which we'll get to was was this paid for by the army because it actually makes the army look kind of attractive and i'm betting it looks a kind, yeah it makes it look like fun i'm betting that enlistment was down and yeah. it would not surprise me to well, find out that army hands or government hands were like poking dollar bills at hollywood yeah. and it's like you know we'll get we'll get to that yeah uh, John Larroquette improvised the dialogue where he's watching the girls in the shower through the telescope, including that rather odd line, Oh God, I wish I was a loofah. <laughs> According to Larroquette, he had to explain to Ivan Reitman what a loofah was. Oh, I knew what it was. Yeah, basically a fancy kind of sponge. Mm. Uh, Columbia Pictures wanted to cut out the scene where Sergeant Holka and John Winger have a confrontation in the latrine. Oh. They thought the scene was too serious, but Reitman insisted it be left in to establish Hulk's strength and authority. Yeah. I think it really works. Yeah. yeah. Uh, basic training in this film takes place at the fictional Fort Arnold. Now, that used to be the name of an actual army fort in the 18th century, except it was named for General Benedict Arnold. Oops! <laughs> yeah, and uh, after he had his little incident, Fort Arnold was renamed to something you probably know better, West Point. Ah, Bill Murray and Sean Young did not get along. Wow, really? Mm. Yeah, that's a shocker. Yeah. Isn't it? Young did not like Bill Murray's method of ad-libbing during scenes, and he vowed to never work with her again, and he never did. Just as well. In case you didn't recognize them, the two MPs that John and Russell hook up with are played by Sean Young and P.J. Souls, <laughs> who we know mainly as Riff Randall from Rock and Roll High School. Demerit, demerit. <laughs> Do your parents know your Ramones? <laughs> who are the Ramones? <laughs> the cast got drunk for two weeks upon hearing of John Lennon's death. That was another big event in 81. Oh, yeah. John Larroquette later admitted he was still drunk in the scene where he dresses down the company after they watched and participated in the mud wrestling. Hmm. Even after filming moved to Los Angeles, Bill Murray and Warren Oates had a drunken evening beside the grave of Struther Martin. Okay. I, I don't know why. Uh, he was the assassin of uh, John Lennon. No, I have He to. was not! <laughs> History is my strong point. <laughs> uh, Larroquette also broke his nose while shooting an additional scene of him running through a door. The shot shown in the film was the first take. They had to basically slather makeup all over his nose for the rest of the filming. Wow. Here's an odd one. This movie was originally conceived of as a vehicle for Cheech and Chong. Yeah. I'm thinking. Uh, Cheech and Chong joining the army. Uh-uh. Uh, according to Reitman, the reason this fell through was their manager insisted, without Cheech and Chong knowing this, on a 25% share of Reitman's next five films. What? Yeah. And he was strangely not willing to give that up. So it was then rewritten for Bill Murray and Harold Ramis. And most of the stoner humor was shifted to the character played by Judge Reinhold. Right. By the way, do you know the character's name? Uh, I do not. Yeah, it's almost, I don't know if anyone says it, but his name's Elmo. Oh. Yeah. Ah. They don't, they, there was a scene in the movie that was cut where they improvised dragging Warren Oates, uh, Sergeant Hulka, the soldiers drag him into the mud during the obstacles course scene. 
But Oates just lost it and yelled at Reitman over the incident, saying, if I'm going to get pushed into the mud, I'm going to get pushed into the mud, but don't ever pull that kind of bleep again. Reitman has never done improv in a film since. Ah. Now, we'll come to this, but uh, Ivan Reitman requested Joe Flaherty for the part of the border guard, but due to a mix-up, Joseph X. Flaherty was cast in the role, rather than Joseph S. Flaherty from Second City TV. Oops. Yeah, Reitman was able... He still managed to contact the original Flaherty, and the other one was given a small role as Sergeant Crocker, who I'm sure you remember. Uh, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> P.J. Souls, Stella, also played Private Wanda Winter the year before in Private Benjamin. She wore the same uniform in both films. <laughs> well, it was there. Yeah. It was cheap, yeah. Uh, the song Do Wah Diddy a central theme performed by the cast members, which re- it was originally recorded by the Exciters in 1963, and during the British Invasion, it was covered by, you know... The Beatles. Yeah, Manfred Mann. Right, Close. the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. It actually is a very popular cadence in the U.S. military. They use it as a marching as a marching song. Oh, how themic. Sadly, Warren Oates, Sergeant Holka, died of a heart attack a year after the film premiered. Wow. That's why we don't see him in a lot of stuff after that. Uh, the EM-50 Urban Assault Vehicle was built from a 1973 to 1978 GMC motorhome. Ah. And uh, this, for all of you military decoration nuts, at the end of the movie, uh, the, some of the main characters, you know, Winger, you know, Bill Murray, Ramis, Stella Louise, and Hulka all get off the plane, and they're wearing the Distinguished Service Cross. Ah. That is the Army's second highest award for heroism. Yeah, I bet that went over well. Oh, yeah. Let's make fun of that. Yeah. So that's pretty much uh, what I've got. There's actually a surprising amount of trivia about this movie. There's a lot of stuff in there. But uh, I think we can uh, cut it off here unless you've got anything. Well, I had two notes because I sat through the credits, and one of them was uh, they really shot there. At least according to the credits, they thanked them for their cooperation of letting them shoot at Fort Knox. Yes, that is, in fact, uh, where they they did the shooting. They called it Fort Arnold, but it was Fort Knox. (laughs) Sure, that was safe. Uh, and the other, a very early appearance by one of our favorite actors, Effin' Bill Paxton is in this film. Wait, where was Bill Paxton? He's I missed that. one of the soldiers. That's all it says. Oh, it said okay. soldier, Bill Paxton. Oh, man, I did not notice that at all. I, I didn't either. There's only one person I can think of that might be him, and I don't know that it was him. Um, and the character doesn't have a line. He just smiles, and he's got this weird huh. sort of almost gap-toothed smile, but... There is another sort of cameo that you don't see. PJ's originally one of the characters was supposed to be played by Dennis Quaid. Oh. Uh, by virtue of the fact he was married to PJ Souls at the time. Really? Yeah. And he is in the movie. He's in the crowd oh. during graduation. <laughs> He's in you the fire grade. He's in the it, it, <laughs> <laughs> You cannot it is physically impossible to see him, but he is there. Huh. There's one other uh uh little uh, I had to check that to make sure. I was pretty sure this is who this was. There's one other cameo. Uh, it's a thankless, short, tiny role. But Dave Thomas, otherwise known as yep. uh, Doug McKenzie, is in fact in this I film. Am- he is the announcer for the mud wrestling scene. scene. Yeah, I actually have a note on that. There are a surprising number of people from Second City TV in this movie. Never mind uh, Bill Murray and Harold Ramis, both of whom were on the show. John Candy, Joe Flaherty, and Dave Thomas. All SCTV people. Hmm. But, you know, I think that the people who listen to our show, 
both of them, who may not have yeah. seen Stripes, would really <laughs> like, if they could, a rundown of the story. Would you, Max, the tell story. us a story? No. <laughs> if you don't, <laughs> I will replace you with Bumpy. Yep. <laughs> and Zangief's ass, because that hasn't been out for a while. What is up with Zangief's uh. ass? Anyway, Max, tell us a story. Loser slacker Bill Murray, played by Bill Murray. Sorry. <laughs> Loser slacker John Winger, played by Bill Murray, realizing his life is going nowhere, convinces his buddy Russell, played by Harold Ramis, that what they need to do to turn their lives around is join the army and be all they can be. This they then do, and end up in a platoon of misfits who, due to the unbreakable laws of cinema, are actually lovable misfits. Oh trying to fumble their way to become real soldiers, at odds with their tough-as-nails regular army sergeant, Sergeant Holka, Warren Oates, and their complete tool of a commanding officer, a pre-night court John Larroquette. Somehow, John and Russell do not end up washing out, court-martialed, or killed during live fire exercises, <laughs> but rather meet two lovely MPs, become actual soldiers, and end up driving a military spec recreational vehicle in an actual rescue mission into Czechoslovakia uh, before it was the Czech Republic and before the Irving Berlin Wall tipped over or something. Do they push the world to the brink of war? Do they create a complex diplomatic crisis? Do they goof around and shoot guns wildly, never hitting anyone like the A-Team? It's an 80s Bill Murray movie. Take a wild guess. Yeah, I just, uh, I wanted to take a look. I don't know if you remember, you saw this when it came out, didn't, didn't you? I did. I remember it being huge. It was very big. I mean, as you see, it made, you know, eight times its budget back. Uh, well, the thing is, is that when we look at like $80 million these days, it sounds like, oh, like, you're making an independent like a film. Yeah. I just wanted to take a quick look. It was the number two grossing film of the year. I believe it. Yeah. Strangely it under, huge. um... Superman 2. <laughs> oh, but ahead of Cannonball Run. Actually, it Ooh. it beat out a Bond film for that year's and oh, no kidding. quite honestly justifiably so that was for your oh, eyes was, only which Oh dear, yes. Dull. That was not one of the best. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, I remember it being really, really huge. I saw it. People were quoting it. Heck, we're still quoting it. Um yep. we say lighten up Francis all the time. Um <laughs> And it was, and Bill Murray was starting that sort of untouchable period of his career where Bill Murray could do no wrong and Bill Murray was amazing and everybody loved Bill Murray, at least on the screen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this was, you know, after a couple of his, his big breakout, which was another Ivan Reitman movie with Meatballs. Oh. And, uh, when, which is, he's, he's very funny in that. When did Caddyshack come movie. out, do you know? That came out later. That Did was it? another big... It came out before um, Stripes, but after Meatballs. 1980. Yep. That would be before this. Yeah. Oh, yes. I see. Meatballs came before that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was 1977 or 78, I think. So, Murray was established as a solid comic uh, movie presence. Yeah. And Harold Ramis, not as much. Ramis was much more a behind-the-camera guy. He was much more of a writer. Um, I think he was... And a director. And, um... I think the reason for that is, uh, shall we say, apparent in this film. Yeah. What did he you, do, uh, doesn't have, would you he doesn't have a lot of range. I mean, I, I think he does great as Egon in Ghostbusters, but mostly he's playing that completely straight and completely deadpan. Yeah. He has a real kind of snark about him that can 
wear a little thin. Well, my problem was that he has this sort of ever-present smirk. Yeah. Like, he's in on the gag, or, hey, I'm acting, and it's like, not very well. Or he know, he just knows what Bill Murray's going to do, or he helped Bill Murray say what he's about to say. And my one of my earliest notes was Harold Ramis' performance is not great. Yeah. Um, no, but he's his comic timing is very good. When he delivers the jokes, they usually stick. Yeah, he just tends to deliver them like the DHL man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, again, writing, and of course, Groundhog Day, which is a film that I, I very much like, he directed. So, yeah. Bill Murray, let's talk yeah. about Bill Murray. What This is sure. early in his career. And it is. He is, I would say, at his slacker loser most potentially in this film yeah probably he's a little like that in uh, meatballs and he's definitely like that in caddyshack where he's you know the stoner groundskeeper right although he's all he's actually playing a sort of more of a character because you talk like this in that way true yeah and he's, he's way more over the top but uh, not just doing bill murray or that particular aspect of bill murray here he's just sort of schlubby and he pulls he pulls it off he's very convincing i think as a schlub oh sure i fully believe not just as a schlub but as Hulka says, you're somebody who thinks you know something about everything. Yeah. He comes across as one of those people who never really tries, never really did anything, but is absolutely convinced he's the smartest one in the room. Now, wait. His girlfriend does point out one of his best features that he likes Which to is, wake up and watch Rocky and Bullwinkle. Now, there can't that be... That is a- true. <laughs> that, that is true. That He does have a... Po- and apparently he was very into Tito Puente. Sure. Well, Why not? They also mention he's a photographer. Yeah. And then we see well, some of his shots, which are mostly his it. girlfriend, who is, you know, a very attractive young woman. And I'm sitting there going, I'm sorry, you're with him? Yeah, yes. that was sort of my thought. Why? Yeah. Really? But, like, they never do anything with that. Like, nope. is he actually a good pr- photographer? It looks like he might be. He certainly has a nice camera. But they really throw that away very quickly, so we don't really learn much. Let's face it, we don't know a damn thing about John Winger, except he's a wise no. ass. Nothing. Yeah. But we're not, it, this this is a very surface movie. It's yeah. you know it's a zany comedy. It's just supposed to be silly. Yes. It, Despite the fact it's dealing with, you know, there's some fairly serious stuff in here. If you look at it, this, is the friggin' army, right? And they are we're dealing with. The uh, the peak of the Cold War. This was right before. This was before the Berlin Wall fell. This was when tensions were very high. I should also point out, the army went all volunteer in 1970, which led to a massive decline in enlistment. Big surprise. Which is why I think they might have been behind this. Yeah, in 1979, Pref- President Carter reactivated the Selective Sur- Service Program. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, that yeah that required it, it wasn't the draft. People made don't make that mistake, but it required registration. And uh, for those of you who don't know, it's been in place ever since. If you got a driver's license, you've registered for the draft. Mm. Yeah, and, uh, I. <clears throat> And all I had to do that, I remember you had to do that if you wanted uh, student loans, too. Because I didn't get my license till I was 22, so that wasn't an issue. But if you wanted to qualify or pre-qualify for student loans, especially government-based ones, you had to register. And I remember going to the post office. Um, I had to register for the draft. I got up to the counter, and the lady there just laughed. She said, you're a new kid on the block. Um, <laughs> okay, quit quoting bare-naked ladies. Why? Um <laughs> 
That's a good question. No, it wasn't just for loans. It was the law. Yeah. If you turned 18, you had to register. Right. It's just in this case, if you didn't, it wasn't like the 70s where you would actually, like, somebody would come after you. It's just if you tried to apply for something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, and one of the things that um, I found really odd here is we do comedy, we do comedy, do, it's just short of slapstick. In some cases, it is slapstick. And then we get about three quarters of the way through the film, and suddenly we're in what was then Czechoslovakia, and you know, run by the communist regime, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Apparently, it's really easy to just drive in. There's just two guys. Yeah, you just have to get get past Joe Flaherty and his friend Joe X Flaherty. Uh, but no, that was Joe P Flaherty. Yeah. Joe X Flaherty was Sergeant Crocker. Yeah. So you get through, and now. We've got a goofball slapstickish comedy with live rounds. Yeah, suddenly we have actual people shooting and blowing things up, and it's you know looks cool and it's exciting, but somehow nobody hits anybody. Well, on either side. I have a question for you. What if somebody did? What if we saw one person getting injured? Well, it would depend. We saw Sergeant Hulka get injured, but that was an accident. Yeah, I don't mean slapstick. You know, yeah. but what if in that if sequence someone... we saw even a quote nameless, faceless enemy and quote soldier yeah. go ah or heard you know what? I'm not going to mention it, but if we heard the yeah. you know what, <laughs> oh, uh, will help. Ah, you said it. <laughs> <laughs> what if we? I like seen... watching your face turn that color. <laughs> you're a jerk, Jack. <laughs> you're a jerk. What if we saw one person? throw their arms up and fall back, obviously having been hit by somebody. I, I think that would damage it pretty badly. I think you had to have it uh, silly otherwise, because, I'm sorry, it's not funny. Yeah. This, it's, or this kind of humor, if, you'd, if this had started out as a dark comedy, then maybe, but it, it's very lighthearted and fluffy, and if you actually had death or real injury, I think that would have ruined it. I'm not sure that it kind of didn't even though nobody mm. does, because it's a real tonal shift in the last quarter of the film. It's like, and it's funny up until the point where they're basically torturing the rest of the platoon to try and get information out of them, which sadly they don't even know. Like, yeah, we don't, they've got nothing to tell them. We don't see them do it, but we see one guy thrown back in. I think it's Francis. I can't remember. Um, yeah. And then they take uh, Lee Harvey out. Who is the lovable dimwit? I guess um, he's the the Forrest Gump of the of the troop, <laughs> and they're quote unquote working on him when Bill Murray and and Harold Ramis show up. I can't believe I actually had the sound on for that text. I'll have to see what I can do about that. Sorry, folks. Um, and it's like, and then they're driving, they're getting out, and they're shooting bombs. We see whenever they're shooting their missiles and stuff that the bad guys go, oh, no, and leap out of the and way. jump out of the way, yes. But it's like... Or, I, we may, or they make a point of showing us that they're still moving. Yeah. So it's... You know, or they shoot the tank behind them and it drives into the wall, but we don't actually see anybody in it, so we can just... I don't know. It's yeah, that's the thing. If I was thinking about that. Uh, those guys in the tank are probably dead. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, they hit them with basically an anti-tank missile, and they're either dead of concussive force or they're on fire. But it was funny. <laughs> yeah. And we don't see them. We just see the tank. Yeah. So it's uh, that was a kind of weirdness. Let's go back to some of the performances. Uh, PJ yeah. Souls is fine. Oh, yeah. And Sean Young, she was apparently... <laughs> She was cast for her looks because 
Uh, Reitman thought she looked really sweet. I apparently he has not met Sean Young. Yeah, apparently not. Or maybe she changed over time. Oh, my impression of Sean Young is that Sean Young is more than capable of taking care of herself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In just about any situation. She is a very striking-looking person. Um, oh, she's gorgeous. Uh, it's amazing to think that next year she'd be in Blade Runner. There you go. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, of course, later she would be in um, Ace Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, she would very definitely not be in Batman. No. Damn! Damn! <laughs> um, they're fine. It's thankless yeah. roles. Um, they're... All right, let's get to this, too. Women in this film. Oh, dear. Yeah, so remember how we had that really, really uh, objectionable, um, pointless scene in the beginning of Blowout? And I said, this is one of the most gratuitous openings of a film I've ever seen. Well, now we have a very gratuitous scene in the middle of this film. We actually have two of yeah. them. Although, this is the shower scene, I assume you mean? Yeah. It's a scene yeah. where we could watch Jaila Raquette suddenly looking at the women's barracks, and the women are all, of course, when they shower, it's like a pillow fight, because, of course, that's how women shower, right? They're all, oh, hee, hee, yep. hee, and they are constantly <laughs> caressing themselves in evocative yeah, ways. Yeah, so they're, they're all strikingly attractive, and apparently no one thought to put shades or curtains on the windows of the shower. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Um, it is an utterly useless scene. Um, I don't well, know why it's there. I do. It establishes that Larroquette is a creep, and it establishes he should not be in a position of command. They do linger on it way too much. I, they could have done the same thing with a really quick shot. I think you could have done it without even showing it. Yeah. You could have shown the, the barracks, and you could even have said women showers and just shown him do it, but the reason it's there is because Ivan Reitman wanted it there. And uh, that's the the mentality of the '80s, among other decades. Uh, and it was well, uh, they were doing something for they. It's there for the teenage boys, which is interesting because there's like, no teenage yeah. boys in the film, which would that have doesn't been the, have to be. But they're supposed to be recruits. I was one of my notes was what? Oh. There's no teenagers in the army. What the hell? I got. I do have to say, a lot of the recruits are look surprisingly old. Well, one of Bill Murray's lines where he's <laughs> saying, "I've got to get in shape or I'll be dead before I'm 30. He turned thirty two months before. He that movie. I thought he was older than that. Never mind John Candy. I don't know how old John Candy was. And I'm willing to believe that there are people that are in their late 20s, early 30s who do sure. sign up. Sure. But I think most people who do it tend to be 18, 19, 20. And That's when the, none that's of the people in that platoon, if you want to call it a platoon, there's six people. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's more of a squad. Yeah, because they all fit in the damn uh, EL-50 or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. Um, none of them looked like the people you would expect to actually be in the army. Um, John Larroquette, let's bring him up. I was surprised. John Larroquette generally plays the guy from Night Court. He plays this very snarky, yeah. sarcastic, I'm smarter, I'm better than you kind of person. And here he's playing somebody kind of goofy, and I actually thought he was kind of funny. John Larroquette can be very funny when he pushes himself a little bit. Yeah. He's given the right part. He actually is fairly talented. Yeah. I didn't like the character, it's, but so what? No, the, you're not supposed to like right. the character. The character is a jackass. Yeah. I like Warren Oates as Sergeant Hulka. He's we're not supposed to necessarily like him because he is kind of he's clearly the antagonist. Well, but he's also you can see his point. Yeah, he is. He's been in the army for twenty eight years, mm -hmm. and he, he can't stand these punks who are joining up for re what he thinks are idiotic reasons. He's right. It's like you're joining. He's right. <laughs> there. I mean, John Candy's joining up because he's too cheap to pay for a health club. Uh. Another guy's joining up just because, 
Well, first off, I think it's Lee, no, not Lee Harvey, but there's another one whose name we don't we don't get, who's also clearly pretty dumb, and he's joining up because he doesn't want to get drafted. <laughs> like that, there's no draft. What? What? Yeah. Yeah, Lee Harvey. Yeah, I think it is Lee Harvey. Actually, I think it is because his uh, father okay. and his brother, you know, were in. Yeah, it's they like, joined. I don't want to get drafted, so I was like, and <laughs> Bill Murray and Harold Ramis are joining because, you know, it's something to do. It's they want. They, they both want uh, some direction in their life, but they also don't want to be told what to do. Well, and here's the thing: we see Bill Murray striking out on everything because he's a layabout. I'm not going to use the word wastrel. He's a wastrel. He's a slacker. Yeah. Um, in the best sense, and uh, no, the worst sense of the word. And he uh, doesn't enjoy being a taxi driver in New York. To be fair, probably not high That's in the list. That's a heck of, of a job. <laughs> yeah, that is a, that, I would not want that job. Job satisfaction. My, hat, my hat's off to you, taxi drivers of New York. I do not know how you do that. Yeah. But then we find out, oh, he's only been at it for a couple of weeks. He's already having his car repossessed because he can't hold a job. But it also sounds like he's not doing anything to better himself. Or Basically, he joins the army because he can't think of anything better to do. Like, there's, oh, I don't want to get that job. Well, I saw a commercial. I guess I'll do that. And then he gets his best friend, I guess, to go with him. Like, the weakest convincing ever. It's like, yeah, we sh- you should come in and do this. I don't want it. You should. Okay. And it's... Yeah, I, we don't really know why Russell does this. It doesn't make... He has a job. He do, he's obviously not good at it. He's teaching English as a second language. But he seemed to enjoy it, and the people yeah. liked him. Sure, he taught them how to do to do Ron, 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 but that was his, <laughs> the entire extent of the class. But he didn't seem unhappy. No. You know, he comes and, over and takes the, the, the Bill's or John's last beer. Winger. Winger to me, I'm sorry. That is a term for one thing. It's a, a, a not, well, not one of my favorite bands, but it's a band. <laughs> winger <laughs> was, what you would do is you would close one nostril and blow snot out the other, and that was a winger. Yeah. <laughs> ah, so I, I did not need to know it. that. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Re- I'm sorry, listeners. You didn't need to know that either. Yeah. Oh, dear. So whatever. It's one of those things as a kid. Winger. Yeah. Huck a winger. Hey. Okay. Um, but I, there's, there's as little as there is to Bill Murray's character. There's nothing to, to Harold Ramis's character. Nothing at all. Does he have a girlfriend? We have no idea. Does he have parents? Uh, was he preconceived? Was he an accident? Was there, I don't know. Uh, who knows? We know nothing about him. And we, we just get the feeling that like, um, Bill Murray's character, like Winger, he's kind he's directionless. He's just doing stuff to go along. Yeah. But that's it. We don't know anything about him. We don't. I don't know how much we have to. Again, this movie is not about depth of character. No, but it would be nice if we actually felt there was a reason for them to be where they are. And they're kind—I of, mean, they're all, it really feels like well, they're going in the army because that's what the script says. Okay, <laughs> there are uh, there are a lot of parts of this movie I think are a lot of fun. I do think I I love the image of them marching to do what diddy. Sure. I think that's cute. Very iconic. And I I love their close order precision drill. That they would never have been able to come up with in three hours. That was that they a, show at graduation. That did feel a little quick. Yeah, it's extremely quick. That is really hard to do. Yeah, that is inc- that takes a lot of time and a lot of discipline, and you, to just come up with it like that, I don't think they could have. But it's so much fun to watch. Yeah. Hey, but at it's least we really get one cute. of the racist jokes of the film there. Yeah, what the black guys help the white guys yeah. with the rhythm? Yeah, but they call that out. That starts a fight. That joke. Yeah, but 
again, it's one of those things that felt like, well, it's okay to put that in because it's the 80s and I'm a white guy. So, Well, there's also the point, did you catch the names of any of the black characters? Uh, no. No, as far as I, I don't, th- they have them in the credits, but we never hear them. Yeah, I think one of the actors was actually in um, Kentucky Fried Movie, but... <laughs> Okay. I think one of the young black guys was one of the guys who had to call for a big Jim Slade. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't catch that. All and right. the capital of Nebraska is Lincoln. Lincoln. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, okay, kudos. There's a couple of black people in the film, and kudos. They actually do have a line. You could have gone a little further, but um, eh, yeah. Back, backing up Maybe. real quick because you, you went over him and I didn't get a chance. War Notes does a great job. And I actually think War Notes' character, as well as he's played, is kind of a problem, and for reasons that you stated, because we agree with him. Yeah, he has a point. He's right. These people are screw-ups. They are in the Army for the wrong reasons. They don't, he says, you know, about duty or honor or patriotism. He says, you don't even know what those words mean. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I don't think, I think that's probably true. Well, the other thing, too, and to be fair, I've never been in the armed services. I've never been gone through any of that kind of training or anything, but my feeling is, the very least you need to get out of basic training is the ability not to get killed. And that's one of the reasons he's doing what he's doing is like, look, you may eventually find yourself in a battle zone someday and training is supposed, you're supposed to become a soldier and actually be useful and a productive or destructive, but you're also supposed to not die. And that's one of the reasons they have you do this and why they have discipline and why they're, you're supposed to listen to people who know what they're talking about. And when he comes out and ex- basically explains that, you're like, oh, huh. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm a side with him. <laughs> and then we're back yeah. with, oh, you know, the Bill Murray mugging for the camera and being Bill Murray. So I, I actually find the character well played and a problem because of it. Um, mm. But what other parts did you, uh, did you really enjoy in this film, Max, before we get to our questions? Honestly, uh, the mud wrestling scene, while yes, it is gratuitous. <laughs> it's vital for the plot. Utterly vital for the plot. It's funny. I'm sorry. Watching John Candy. Lean, mean, fighting machine. I'll do it! It's a real kind of heck yeah moment. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's dumb as heck, but it's... I I thought it was funny. I do have to say, Dave Thomas was completely wasted. Yeah. Dave Thomas is very funny, and he's... He gets to do nothing. It's really too bad. Even Joe Flaherty got to be a little funny. Well... I think a lot of people, they know Dave Thomas from Bob and Doug McKenzie. I yeah. think what a lot of people didn't know, I didn't know this until maybe a couple of years ago, is that most of the material for Bob and Doug McKenzie, utterly improvised. They had oh, yeah. a, they had no, a they basic idea. We're going to talk about pancakes. Okay, cool. Roll them. And that's it. And that was like some of the best parts of that show. The, uh, you know, that show, that uh, whole shtick of Bob and Doug McKenzie came about Basically, as a middle finger to the Canadian Broadcasting right. uh, Company, because it was required because uh, their TV estate was state funded, that you had to have a certain percentage of the show be about be culturally Canadian. <laughs> and they said, "Okay, <laughs> how's it going, eh?" <laughs> And that brought us Bob and Doug. Yeah, and they, hey, sorry, oh, th- that's topic. fine. But they're both really funny in that. And when they you realize so that they are improvising every one of those skits, it's like, yeah. well, crap. That it's pretty impressive. They know their characters. So uh, let's yep. get to our little questions real quick before we uh, get too sure. late. Was this film this is a dumb question? But was this film a standout for the year of nineteen eighty one? 
You are we already established. Yeah, that was the number two new box office film. But it's also culturally. This is one of yeah. those films everybody went to see. Yeah, I mean, everybody saw this, uh, and this shaped a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, did this film significantly affect films that came after it? Oh yeah, They're military. They didn't do a lot of military comedies, or if there were, they were much bleaker or darker, like Catch Twenty Two or The Boys in Company C or any of those. Yeah. Uh, this this was sort of a they didn't do a lot of zany mo- or army movies. Private Benjamin probably came first, but even that's more of a well, that's more well, it's sort of a lighthearted one. Yeah. Well, that one was turned into a TV show, I think. Yeah, it did. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I definitely think so. It it, it set a, a whole tone even for that sort of Ivan Reitman esque kind of movie. Yeah, I think they continued the wise guy balking at the establishment sort of comedy. It wasn't the first to do this by any means, yeah. but it certainly no. that that was a theme. I think would continue to run through the '80s comedies. There was a lot of that, and Bill Murray sure. tended to be at the center of a lot of it too. It's a lot like the Police Academy movies. Y- yes, it's only funny. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, I'm glad sorry, you said sorry. it. Are you really? Okay. Are you Max? <laughs> I don't think you are. Um, does this movie reflect 1981? Oh boy, does it. It really does. Never mind the whole, like we said, the whole mini cycle of uh, military movies. But I think it also showed a lot about uh, what was happening with the army in the in American culture and the, the ways they were trying to attract uh, new recruits. Yeah. And, I mean, the cars, the haircuts... Easter. The music. Oh, yeah, what about Hal Remus's hair at the beginning of this film? What was... Oh, boy. <laughs> it's like, don't shave it, you've got a helmet. Uh, <laughs> it'll protect Yeah, honestly, him. I think the military did him a favor with that haircut. I agree, he looked much better afterwards. Um, I actually have another Hawking Point, but I'm going to save it for after we start the roundup uh, in a weird <laughs> twist. Okay. Do you have any other uh, notes you'd like to get to before we get to Just, the... yeah... W- you were talking about the last, uh, the last like third. It's not even the last third. It's the last fifteen minutes of the movie where they're mm. actually going into battle. That's where any semblance of realism goes out the window. Mm. Just not even the fact that nobody ever gets hit, but the fact like when the Czech army captures the truck, they open the back and they're all out there with the, pointing their guns out. They would have all died. That the soldiers would have just opened fired and killed everyone in the truck because you don't point your guns at soldiers at a checkpoint oh, unless you're planning those wacky Soviets. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also wondered how the Czech army felt about their portrayal in this movie because they are just shown to be completely incompetent. You, uh, you, you think they saw it? <laughs> they might have. There were a lot of movies smuggled in. Uh, also, there was one other cameo, and this one is probably not that well known, but there's an actor named Timothy Busfield, who I like. He was best known probably for 30-something and playing the reporter Danny Kincannon on the West Wing. He is the soldier who is arguing with uh, John Larroquette about firing the mortar without coordinates. Okay. Yep. I just I, I didn't notice that before, and I'm like, hey, who's... Oh, good Lord! I'd never noticed that. Hmm. He looks like he's about 12. He's one of the few <laughs> soldiers in this movie who looks like he's young. Yeah. And, uh, by the way, Russell was right on the money when they're breaking over the border, and he says, do the words act of war mean anything to you? Because that is what they are doing. Yeah. Technically invading a foreign country. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Military presence into the foreign... Yeah. And all because anyway, General Pruneface thought it was a good idea. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, so let's get to the uh, roundup. Yeah. The roundup. 
So, Mike. Oh. <laughs> oh. Finally. Oh. Finally. I, so, yep. you saw this movie when it came out. I did. Everybody did. You were required yeah. to. Um, I, you think of it I couldn't graduate high school if I didn't see this film. That's true. Oh, when I saw it, I thought it was funny. Very, very funny. Uh, I loved the, the whole iconic bit about the them doing their little close, close order drill, and that's yep. a fact, Jack, and Razzle Dazzle, um, Army Training Sir, the whole thing. You know, <laughs> really funny film. And uh, now? Yeah, about that. <laughs> oh, dear. I laughed once, and it was when they were doing training on the grounds with the rifles and they were stabbing the dummies. And I believe it's Harold <laughs> Ramis goes to stab the dummy misses and throws his <laughs> rifle into the ground. I laughed that, that I <laughs> thought was funny. Honestly, I don't think Bill Murray's funny. I find oh. his character annoying. I think that Hulk has got some good points and I don't think he's right. Like the whole point of this movie centers on him being right and establishment being wrong and so on and so forth but the character's got nothing going for him there's nothing about him that i find worthwhile he doesn't do a good job at anything he slacks his way through things he bucks his own version of the rules in the face of everyone else's assuming he knows better and he doesn't He's constantly trying to get his friends and these women that he's just met into trouble. I don't know what they see in him. And I actually, the thing I found most interesting watching this film, because of course I thought it was so much fun when I was a kid, was that watching this is maybe more about how I've changed in the, in the interim years. Uh, I think culture has changed a lot too. Like if you try to release this oh, yeah. film the way it is now, one thing there'd be, and justifiably so, a lot of women going, uh, take those scenes out. They literally do nothing for the plot and they're just there to make people look at, w guys look at women and drool and it's, it's unnecessary and degrading. But yeah, um, did not think it was funny. How about you? Huh. Well, I loved it when it came out. I thought it was hilarious. And it really, that was the movie that won me over to Bill Murray. Now, I still think some of it is funny, and the one thing that I like Bill, Bill Murray does is I like his inspirational speech before graduation, just because it's not... Now, admittedly, it is very much like the inspirational speech he gives in Meatballs, where he's saying, look, we're losers, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. and, but I do like the, you know, we're Americans, and it, you think it's going to be a super patriot speech. He says, you know what that means? That means... Our ancestors were kicked out of every decent country in the world. It's like, okay, I thought that's, I think that's funny. I think John Larroquette, the way he plays it, is pretty funny. I think some of Harold Ramis's delivery is funny. It doesn't hold up as well, and also the unrealistic nature of dealing with the military, it's, it's a little more, it stands out a bit more. It's kind of less funny now. Yeah. That tonal so, shift yeah. does not help. No. I mean, again, I get it. For the time, you could just do that. Uh, you know, we, we hadn't we hadn't had a... It was 81, I guess, the last major war we had had was Vietnam. We had had the, uh, the, the Iranian hostage crisis, but yeah, I, I think it is more of a sign of how we've changed, but also how I think the culture's changed. I, I still get a smile out of some of it, and I do like the iconic scenes, but yeah, I think you're, it's not as funny as it used to be. Yeah. I don't think it's aged well. 
But hey, that's one of the reasons we're looking at this year. We want to see how this year stacks up with its films next to each other. And it's been True. a pretty wild mix. But uh, if you wouldn't mind, Max, because yeah. this week you're host, uh, if yep. you would go over that really cool poll question you came up with and uh, how people Thank might you. be able to answer it. Sure. Uh, this week's poll question is, what movie do you think would be improved if it was told from the point of view of one of the side or supporting characters instead of the main character? And you can respond to this on our website at maxmikemovies.com. Leave a comment for additional bumpy bucks. Or for the special fudgy-coated platinum bumpy bucks, you can email us. Wait, wait, fudgy co- I don't have any fudgy-coated platinum bumpy bucks. Of, I know, they've just been released in time for 2022. Oh, fudgy-coated, released. I see what you... <laughs> yeah okay yep yep thanks for that thanks for those bumpy you can you can email us at us at maxmikemovies.com you can also follow us on the media socially made on uh, facebook or, tw- or the twitter at uh, maxmikemovies and uh, you can find us on the podcast app of your choice we're also trying to host the podcast on the facebook page for Max Mike Movies. we'll see how that works yeah. or if that does anything mm. Yes. So, Mike, still trapped as we are in 1981, we've done, you know, comedy, we've done drama. I assume we've got some pulse-pounding action coming up. What uh, what kind of mo- summer tent pole rip-roaring thrill ride are we going to watch for next week? You know, I'm hungry for action. Yeah. Really, really hungry Bring it for on. action. So hungry yeah. that I think that i would like to have dinner with andre <laughs> my okay, dinner well, with andre a action andre the giant no <laughs> no, oh. no no uh it's a war- movie starring wallace sean and some guy named andre whom i don't know um this is one of those films that i've heard about and i'm pretty sure it's pulse pounding action and or musical comedy slash um, uh, genre bending um or it's just a camera stuck to a table while two people eat. Uh, <laughs> it might be more of the latter. I don't know. This is one of those films that you're supposed to see and you're supposed to like and think is amazing. Yep. Not entirely unlike Blowout. But I've literally never seen a frame of this film. And uh, as I said, I'm hungry. So, Max, will you yeah. join me next week for a dinner with Andre? Well, I may just uh, join you for appetizers with Andre and maybe just a, some soup or something. Soup. It's good food. <laughs> This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.